The episode that you're about to hear is very much inspired by the movie The Post. But it's definitely not a movie review. So I apologize if that's what you're looking for. I'm trying to get it a little something different with this episode. So I hope you enjoy. I see the past in a flashback. A brief moment played back on a looped track. I'm wondering why the vision's so blurry. It all flies by times in a hurry. The moments when I laughed or I cried or I lost a good friend. A momentary cringe in remembering we're approaching the one minute mark in our countdown at this time as it proceeds smoothly. Mark, T-minus one minute and continuing to count. A water deluge system now has been turned on, activated at the pad area. Pressurization taking place now, the various tanks aboard the vehicle being pressurized. Switching to internal power. All stages switching now to internal power. All propellant tanks being pressurized. Count continuing smoothly. The water at the pad covering the uh, flame deflectors. Now we've passed the 30-second mark. Water also will be coming on to the decks of the mobile launcher at the ignition point. T-minus 20 seconds, and the countdown continues to go smoothly. Guidance release. T-minus 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8. We have ignition sequence has started. Six, five, four, three, one, zero. And we have a liftoff. The Skylab lifting off the pad now, moving up. Skylab has cleared the tower. The audio you just heard was from the launch of Skylab 1 on May 14, 1973. The Skylab 1 launch, America's first space station, used the Saturn V booster designated Sierra Alpha 513, which was originally destined for the Apollo 18 mission. Pieces of Sierra Alpha 514 and Sierra Alpha 515, which were originally designated for the Apollo 19 and 20 missions, are currently on display at the Johnson Space Center, the Kennedy Space Center, the Stennis Space Center, and the National Air and Space Museum on the Mall in D.C.
On January 4, 1970, less than six months after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin left humanity's first lunar footprints, NASA announced Apollo 20's cancellation. The cancellations of Apollo 18 and 19 were soon to follow. One of the main reasons cited by historians for the cancellation of these later Apollo missions and subsequent planned follow-ons is that we had beaten the Soviets to the moon. We had won the space race and we had met John F. Kennedy's challenge to get to the moon by the end of the decade. There were other reasons, though. There was a perceived decreased public interest in moon missions after the initial landing. The Apollo 11 landing was the most televised event in history, so understandably there's pretty much no way to go down from there. And even though uh, missions continued to increase in scientific productivity, the value wasn't as self-evident. There was also increasing concern about the risk of the missions. This concern appeared justified after the near miss of the Apollo 13 mission. There was also the idea of developing a space shuttle which was endorsed by President Nixon's budget in 1969, and this shuttle was to be viewed as a cheaper path to space than the Saturn V. If you want to reach out to me by email at historymoviepodcast at gmail.com, we can get into a long debate about that because the Twitters ain't enough characters for that one. One of the prime reasons given for the cancellation of the Apollo program was that the cost of the program was viewed to be too high. NASA was approximately 4.5% of the federal budget in 1966 and fell from then on. Uh, the Apollo program was about 60% of NASA's budget in that year, which was the largest percentage of a budget that manned spaceflight was uh, throughout the history of NASA. By 1969, NASA's budget was about 2% of the federal budget and fell to just over 1% in 1973 when the last Saturn V was spent. Currently, NASA's budget, for reference, is about half of 1% of the federal budget. The total cost of Apollo from 1959 to 1973, as reported by Congress, was $25.4 billion in 1973 dollars. The equivalent to that in 2018 dollars is about $141 billion, which would be about 3% of just this year's federal budget. So the entire cost of the program, equivalent of about 3% of just the 2018 federal budget. That is, if it ever actually gets passed. To put this in more tangible terms, uh, at 70000 per vehicle, that's about $2 million of Elon Musk's Tesla Model S's. You may be wondering what this has to do with the post-movie. No, you didn't stumble onto a rocketry podcast though I've been tempted to take it that direction several times. 
The tie-in here is the financial cost of the Vietnam War. The Department of Defense reported direct costs of around $168 billion from 1953 to 1975, most of which was for military operations during the years of active U.S. involvement from 1965 to 1972. This is equivalent to around $1 trillion, that's with a T, dollars in 2018 dollars, about 25% of the proposed 2018 budget, or 14 million of Musk's wonder cars. Yes, 14 million luxury electric cars. The indirect financial costs of the Vietnam War, though, are much higher and harder to calculate, and estimates have ranged anywhere from three times to ten times what the direct costs were. So the direct costs of the Vietnam War were around seven times what the Apollo program was. And indirect cost estimates put the total cost of the Vietnam War multiple orders of magnitude above the cost of the entire Apollo program. The major takeaway from the Pentagon Papers during the film was that U.S. presidents knew the war was not winnable or worth the cost, though that cost is not just financial. But those presidents did not want the humiliation of an American loss. Speaking of the film, I thought it was really entertaining with bursts of humor and ultimately triumphant in the victory of the press as the ears of the people. I thought Streep and Hanks both played their roles well, particularly Streep, who well displayed the range of a dynamic and heroic, albeit a tad contrived, character arc moving from overshadowed to strong and outspoken. I also thought that it was hilarious, even if it was a bit flat and stereotypical, the depiction of Tricky Dick Nixon as a shadowy, malevolent figure with a taped voice, and indeed it would be the tapes that he would later become infamous for. Enough about the movie, though. Honestly, if you came here for an in-depth film review talking about the guy from Modern Family's terrible wig or how the American dissident Ellsberg was played by the same actor that's the Russian dissident pretending to be an American in the show The Americans, you're in the wrong place. In all seriousness, let's go back to the beginning of that broadcast of the Skylab 1 launch. The Skylab astronauts invited all the former prisoners of war to watch these two launches. And we have asked Colonel Jim Lamar of Little Rock, Arkansas, to join us here and watch it with us. Colonel Lamar was shot down over North Vietnam in May of 1966, so this will be an entirely new experience for him. And if you're wondering about the very colorfully uh, wrapped cast that he's wearing, that's because the colonel has undergone surgery to repair an injury suffered a long time ago, some seven years ago. Colonel Lamar, uh, we don't expect you to say anything terribly profound, but I think you're going to be impressed by this sight today. Right, I think so too. Yes, indeed. Well, we're very happy to have you with us. Despite the high financial costs for the Vietnam War, there was a much higher price that was paid. And one example of that is Colonel James Lamar.
One minute, 30 seconds, pass through Max-Q, still looking good. Saturn now at 11 nautical miles in altitude, 5 nautical Little miles Lamar. in range, velocity now reaching 3,300. I'm always seconds. overwhelmed by that, even, even by the fact that there weren't any men on board today. That makes it kind of different one minute, from what we've seen in the past. But that's the first time you've seen one of those big babies go. That's right. That's got to be the most awe-inspiring sight I've ever seen in my life. That is something tremendous. Do you believe men went to the moon, Jim? Yes, yes, I believe it. I sure do. But I sure would like to have been here to see it. Golly. You missed the whole bit, didn't you? You didn't learn about our landing on the moon until months later. Well, about five months later, that's right. And I learned about it in a kind of a peculiar way, but it was a real thrill when I did. Well, I hope that we have even better weather tomorrow for you so that you can see that thing arc up there. It kind of was lost in the clouds today. Weren't you impressed by the force, the, the shock wave coming across that cape? You know, we're some miles away from Of course that. I was. Not only that, it's that the, the, the wave began, but that it continued for yeah. so long after the rocket was there. Yeah. And they make it seem so easy, don't they? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just like child's play, but just think of the amount of work that we're into. Oh, yeah, that's what's so overwhelming. Colonel, you're going to go back to flying, too, yes, aren't you? Yes, sir, you bet I am. Can't wait to get back in the air. Colonel James Lamar flew 100 combat missions in the Korean War. During the conflict in Southeast Asia, he flew 101 combat missions over Laos and Vietnam. And on mission number 101 in Vietnam, his 201st combat mission overall, he was shot down on May 6, 1966. During the ejection from his burning aircraft, he broke his arm. Upon being captured, he was tortured. And after he refused to help lure in a rescue party to also get shot down, he was tortured further. He was sent to Hoalo Prison, also known as the Hanoi Hilton, where, among others, future Senator John McCain was held. Colonel Lamar returned to the U.S. as part of Operation Homecoming, which was a series of U.S. transport aircraft flights in and out of Hanoi from February 12th to April 4th, 1973, after the Paris Peace Accords, which, if you remember from the last episode, ended direct U.S. military involvement in Vietnam. Colonel Lamar and many others like him honorably served their country and were proud to have done so. And to them, we owe a huge debt of gratitude. The responsibility for their judicious deployment ultimately rests on the shoulders of the Commander-in-Chief. With that responsibility comes another one. Openness and transparency to the American people. And it's the job of a free and fair press to hold the office of the president to that. That's exactly what the movie The Post was all about. The reason that this is so necessary is that the costs are high. And I'm not talking financial anymore. 58,220 Americans were killed in the Vietnam War and around 300,000 were wounded. Approximately 
1,350 American servicemen from the Vietnam War that were listed as prisoners of war or missing in action remain unaccounted for. And, oh yeah, that Skylab 1 launch, the last Saturn V, the last vestige of the Apollo program to be launched into orbit, occurred on May 14, 1973, three days after Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers leaker, had his charges dismissed after evidence that the Nixon administration had used unlawful means to discredit him had surfaced in the Watergate hearings. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I know this is a little bit of a divergence from the form that I've been following so far, but I thought it was a important story to get out, even if it's just one little slice of this overall picture. I see as if I'm looking at a movie screen The soundtrack growing louder till they end the scene I close my eyes to truly feel the ambience I open them and feel the sense of transience Colonel Lamar, speaking in his own words, in 2012, at an interview at the Marine Military Academy. But the Lord had another purpose in my life, and I did make it home, as you know. Came back to a divided country. None of you were around at that time. Colonel Hill, perhaps, but the country was sorely divided. And we were told that our attitudes on coming home <clears throat> did a lot toward healing that breach. I told you I would tell you a poem. It's a poem that I found one time when I was preparing for another talk, it is untitled. I do not know the name of the author. It was in a reference book, just that way. Untitled, but no author. I thought it especially meaningful. I've used it ever since. I know three things must always be to keep our country strong and free. One is a heart, bright and dear, with busy, happy loved ones near. One is a willing heart and hand to love and serve and keep the land. 
One is a wide and traveled way to where the people go to pray. So long as these are kept alive, our country and our people will survive. God bless them. The hearth, the flag, the place of prayer.